Hi, this is Kevin, and I just want to make a special note about this episode. This was not recorded live. Unfortunately, the live session where this was first delivered did not get recorded. So this is actually recorded in an empty room after the fact. So it may seem a little bit different than a normal episode. But nonetheless, hope it's beneficial, encouraging, and informative for you. God bless. Welcome to the Compelling Words Podcast. The Word of God is meant to move us. It's meant to call us to action. Listen in as Kevin Purdy teaches and presents a genuine and compelling message from the Word of God. Let me start this morning with a quiz. Are you ready? Last week I started a new message series and I made a statement. Do you remember? Can you Remember what that was. I said we become what we behold. To behold means to take notice of something special. Whatever grabs our attention and our affection has a deep impact and a deep influence on who we are. Whatever gets our attention, our affection, it it impacts It has this deep impact on who we are. In the Old Testament, when Moses met with God on the mountaintop and then came back down to the people, his face was shining, reflecting the glory of God. And it was so bright that he had to put a veil over his face. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says that just like that veil over Moses' face hid the glory of God, unless we turn to God through Christ, we cannot see the glory of God. The glory of God remains hidden behind the veil unless we turn to Christ and that veil is gone. When we're in Christ, the veil is taken away and we can see and we can know God. And when we see God and when we know God, it changes our life. It changes us. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. When we take time to stop and behold the Lord, we are overwhelmed by His glory, by His goodness, by His beauty, by His majesty. And then we begin to become what we behold. Last week, we took some time to behold the love of God. 1 John 4.10 says this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. When we recognize just how much God actually loves us, it is overwhelming. And God's love for us inspires us and motivates us to love one another. We love because he first loved us. 
This morning I want to consider another attribute of God. And it is something to behold. Let's look at Matthew chapter 8. In verse 18, Matthew chapter 8, verse 18, there's a large crowd starting to gather. And Jesus tells the disciples that it's time to get into a boat and cross to the other side of the lake. The lake is actually the Sea of Galilee. It's called a lake because it's fresh water. It's the lowest freshwater lake on the planet. It's roughly about 700 feet below sea level, about 13 miles long and about 8 miles wide. It's approximately somewhere around 141 feet deep at its greatest depth. The landscape around the lake can often create these sudden and severe storms. The way the hills and the landscape around the lake are, it can kind of funnel the winds and you get these sudden and severe storms. Several years ago, I was a personal witness to just how rough those waters can be just by the wind, even without a storm. In Matthew 8, Jesus and the disciples are in a boat crossing the Sea of Galilee. Matthew 8, verse 24 through 27. Suddenly, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, You have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up and he rebuked the wind and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed, and they asked, What kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now here's just a a fun little fact. I, I just read that from the NIV, the New International Version of the Bible. The Bible was originally, the New Testament was originally written in Greek, so any English Bible is a translation. If we're going to read it in English, it needs to be translated. The NIV, the New International Version, is just one of those English translations. And it translates the Greek word idu into the word suddenly. Suddenly, a furious storm came up on the lake. The ESV, another English translation, the English Standard Version, it translates the word idu into the word behold. Behold, there was a great storm. Either word is accurate and appropriate for the translation. You can say, suddenly there was a storm, or you could say, behold, there was a storm. But behold, that word means to stop and take notice. And so let's consider this. We could stop and take notice, stop and look at the storm, or, and maybe we should do this even more, let's stop and look and take notice of Jesus. It's a furious storm. Waves are crashing over the boat. The disciples who were, some of them were seasoned fishermen, accustomed to these waters, and they're actually afraid. And what is Jesus doing? he's, He's sleeping. Have you ever been on a boat in rough water? Have you ever been in a boat on rough water in a storm? One time on a mission trip to Haiti, there was about eight of us in the bed of this small pickup truck, all sitting around on the edge of the truck, going along some rough, 
muddy mountain roads. And it started pouring down rain, and one of the Haitian translators sitting near the front, he reached around inside, and someone from inside the cab of the truck handed him a tarp, and then he handed that tarp to us in motion for us to kind of all of us get underneath this tarp as we're sitting along the edge of this pickup truck, trying to hold this tarp over. Imagine this. Imagine all of us blancs, which is the Haitian word for white. Imagine all of us holding these, this tarp over our head, trying not to get poured on as we're going along these bumpy, muddy roads. Let me tell you, no one was sleeping. I, I kind of think that's similar to Jesus and the disciples in this moment, except I was worried that I would fall over the side of the truck and get hurt. They were worried more about falling over the side of the boat or the boat capsizing and being drowned. And Jesus is sleeping. The disciples wake him up. In Matthew's gospel, they say, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. In Mark's gospel, they say, teacher, don't you care if we drown? And in John's gospel, they say, master, master, we're going to drown. They were scared, but Jesus wasn't. Or... Was he just that tired? Was he just really super exhausted, just tired? I would guess that healing people, teaching and doing miracles, I would guess that that's probably exhausting. But here's something to consider. If you're scared, if you're anxious, if you're afraid, worried, or concerned, it doesn't matter how tired you are, you don't sleep. Jesus was sleeping because he had absolutely nothing to fear. There was thunder and lightning, heavy rain, strong winds, water in the boat, more water coming in. The boat was lurching up, down, back and forth, chaos all around. And Jesus was peacefully sleeping. And it wasn't because he was exhausted. And it wasn't because he didn't care. Jesus knew that it was under control. And he gently rebukes their faith. Why is your faith so small? And then he rebukes the wind and the waves. Mark's gospel tells us that he got up and he said, quiet, be still. And then it was calm. The wind stopped, the waves settled. And I love what Matthew 8, 27 says. The men were amazed and they asked, What kind of man is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? The disciples couldn't believe what they had just seen. With just the power of his voice, Jesus stopped the power of a storm. He took chaos and he made it calm. This was definitely, this was most definitely a moment To behold. Can I ask you to do something this morning? Whenever you think life is in chaos around you, would you stop and remember this moment? Whenever you feel afraid, worried, anxious about something you cannot control, remember and behold the peace of God. Jesus wasn't afraid of the storm. 
He was asleep in the storm because nothing makes God nervous or uncertain. God never looks at what is going on with us or in this world. God never looks and says, oh, I don't know if I could handle that. I don't know. Things are out of control. I can't work in this situation. Nothing is beyond his control. He has all the authority, all the power, and complete control. The New Testament sometimes refers to God as the God of peace. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you. Hebrews 13 Verse 20 and 21 says, Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. If God is peace, as the New Testament often refers to him, if God is peace, then as we grow closer to him, the more we know peace. The closer we get to God, the more that we know peace. We become what we behold. How do we have that peace of God in our lives? Well, a good place to start is to remember what God is capable of. The very same Jesus who stood up in the boat and told the storm to settle down, and it did, That same Jesus has already done something even greater in your life. The Bible says that he forgave our sins. He nailed the record of our guilt to the cross. He disarmed the powers and authorities that were set against us, and he made fools out of them. Colossians 2, verse 13 through 15 God made you alive with Christ, and he forgave all our sins. He canceled the debt which listed all the rules that we failed to follow, and he took away that record with its rules, and he nailed it to the cross. God stripped the spiritual rulers and powers of their authority. With the cross, he won the victory and showed the the world that they were powerless. The image that this verse gives us is an image or a metaphor of a war that has been won. You see, when Rome would go to war, quite often, when they came back, the Roman generals would lead their captives through the city streets in order to humiliate them and to display their victory. That's the imagery of this verse. Jesus has defeated our enemy. And the NIV Bible says that he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. We can and we should have this deep and abiding peace within our hearts because the battle has already been won. Recently, I was once again reading the story of David and Goliath. and You probably remember it. The Israelites, the people of God, were being threatened by the Philistines, the battle Lines were established, but no actual fighting was taking place. The Philistines had this giant of a man, Goliath, this soldier, a big giant champion, and they challenged the Israelites to a fight by proxy. Send someone to fight Goliath, man versus man, and the one who wins will be able to declare victory for their people, for his people. Not a, not a single Israelite 
was willing to fight, even when the king was offering this great reward. But this man, uh, this man named David, who was not a soldier, he was a shepherd for his family and a musician for the king. He heard Goliath taunting God, and he stepped up to fight the giant. 1 Samuel 17, verse 40 through 46. He took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in a pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield-bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and he saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. And he said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you've defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down. What a powerful scene. I love the confidence that David has. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. When there's confidence at that level, when there's that much confidence, you know what's also there? Peace. There's also peace. Confidence brings peace. David knew that in the strength of the Lord, there'd be a victory. Can I remind you that when we are in Christ, it doesn't matter what we face. It doesn't matter how big, bad, or ugly it is. The battle's already won. Romans 8.31, if God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 33 and 34, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Now, don't misunderstand. Having peace does not mean that there's nothing hard. Having peace does not mean that there's no conflict or trouble. But we can have peace even in the middle of chaos because we have Jesus. And the Bible tells us that Jesus is with God interceding on our behalf. Have you ever heard that phrase, I've got your back? It basically means that I'm with you. I'm watching out for you. I'm here to help. It first came to use during World War II. Soldiers would need to go into a building to clear out the enemy and secure the building. As one soldier would enter into a room, his attention would be all in front of him. He'd be looking into the room, facing forward. His attention was all forward. So he would ask another soldier with him to watch behind him to make sure an enemy didn't come up from behind. Watch my back. Watch my back. And then the other soldier would say, I got your back. That's what I think about when I read about Jesus interceding for me. He's got my back. And listen to what this verse says in Philippians 4. Philippians 4, verse 
4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Notice what it says. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God is like a bodyguard standing in front of our hearts and our minds. Here comes fear wanting to come right on in. Here comes guilt and shame knocking at the door. Here comes all of those worries and concerns. Here comes anxiety and despair. And they're all trying to get in. And the peace of God is standing there, arms crossed, muscles taunt. Sorry, you ain't allowed in here. So here's what we need to do. Whenever we start to feel unsettled, overwhelmed, anxious, try to remember that God is sovereign. He's on the throne He's in control. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Whatever leads you to those feelings, whatever leads you to those feelings of fear and anxiety, let it also lead you to prayer. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I've had a lot of conversations lately with a lot of people. And there's a lot of people going through stuff. Life has been hard. And there are a lot of people that are just exhausted, completely worn out. There are family issues, job stress and uncertainties, financial pressure, health concerns, tensions in relationships, temptations for sin, and that's not to mention, that's not even mentioning the recent global and national issues. I've heard more than one person say, I know that in the end Christ wins, but right now it doesn't feel like it. The book of Revelation was written to Christians who were right in the middle of intense persecution for their faith. The disciple John wrote the letter after he personally had been exiled to the island of Patmos because of his faith. Revelation is meant to encourage Christians in all generations. It's not just about the future time. It's for us now even. It's been for Christians ever since it was first written. Christians in all generations. And it's meant to encourage Christians that if we remain faithful, even when it is difficult, even when the times are hard, there is still a promised victory for us. John's letter was sent to seven churches, and here's what God led John to write to each one of them. To the church in Ephesus in Revelation 2.7, to him who overcomes, I'll give the right to eat from the tree of life. To the church in Smyrna in Revelation 2.11, he who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. To the church in Pergamum, Revelation 2.17, to him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. 
to the church in Thyatira, Revelation 2.26, to him who overcomes and does my will, to the end, I will give authority over the nations. To the church in Sardis in Revelation 3.5, he who overcomes will be dressed in white. I'll never blot out his name from the book of life. To the church in Philadelphia in Revelation 3.12, him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. And to the church in Laodicea in Revelation 3.21, to him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. Max Lucado wrote this. He said, don't measure the size of the mountain. Talk to the one who can move it. Instead of carrying the world on your shoulders, talk to the one who holds the universe on his. Hope is a look away. Now what are you looking at? I'd like to take that and just rephrase it a little bit. Here's what I would say. Don't behold the size of the storm. Behold the Savior. Don't just look at how scary the storm is. Look at the one who stood up and told it to stop. Don't look at how big the giant is. Trust the Lord for victory. He makes giants fall. Don't look at how much persecution there is. Keep the faith and overcome because there is a promised victory. Behold the peace of God. Thanks for listening. Please take a moment to rate this podcast. May the word of God be living and active in your life.